From Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Zach, we are sadly without our third today. That guy, you know, some of us are He's like busy. ducking under coats in overly large conference center (laughs) rooms to record this podcast. And some of us are like, I don't know, probably sipping wine somewhere in the sunshine in California, which, you know, Adam, kudos to you. I should have been doing that too. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, he's busy. He's talking to important people, podcast (laughs) listeners, I think as well, which is great. Yeah. Always. There are, I mean, there are more important people he talks to besides the two of us. I don't believe that. (laughs) It's good fodder at the very least, right? Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, what have you been reading since you've been back? I know I've I, I, not that I. I also read while I was gone. I want to be clear. Mm-hmm. I am always keeping tabs on the site, as of course yeah. you know, got to be. You know, there were a, two pieces that I wanted to shout out um, that I thought were both very fun. And yeah. I love me a fun piece. And sometimes our fun pieces are like really, really, really kind of zany. These I don't think were too zany, but they both had great concepts behind them. So Maggie Hennessy's piece about the sort of. Uh, primacy of martinis at weddings yes it's really interesting you know we've talked a couple of times i think we even did an episode about drinks at weddings pretty recently and i think it's really interesting to me to think about the way in which that whole conceit has evolved and i'm not saying that no one ever served a martini at their wedding before the last few years i'm sure some people did i'm sure there are people throughout the last few decades who were you know, the, the bride and groom were diehard martini lovers, and it was important to them to share that with their, you know, friends and family or whatever. But this idea to me of a specific cocktail and cocktails in general being kind of more at the center of a wedding drinks program than they've ever been is really interesting because I think it changes, like, you know, when not that I did a ton of catering, but I've done a decent amount of it in my life. And, you know, when I started out doing it, the only thing that people paid attention to for the most part when they were designing any kind of beverage program was, you know, what wine are we serving, right? We're serving a meal. Usually we expect maybe there's a champagne toast or something like that. Those are the questions. And like, yeah, okay, maybe there'll be a bar. Maybe it's cash bar. Maybe it's an open bar. But like most people, if they're drinking spirits at a wedding in those days, were drinking like, you know, something very straightforward. They were drinking a spirit neat or maybe they're having like, you know, a gin and tonic or something like yeah. that. And this idea now that like, for not just people like you and me and like in this industry or Tim McCurdy or whomever, but like people for whom just they like drinking, they like cocktails and like, why wouldn't they want the biggest party of their lives to feature like great cocktails? Like it makes sense. Or it's just a martini a, luge. Yes. Or a martini luge. Yes. Something that's both uh quality <laughs> and fun at the same time. Like all that stuff uh, is really interesting. So it's, a, it's an interesting piece kind of looking at some of where people have taken the martini and the sort of focus on it in these wedding spaces. And then, you know, also the espresso martini, of course, like being a big part of that too. Yeah. And, and, you know, the point that it is a, a well-suited drink to many wedding type activities because of its combination of caffeine and alcohol, which, you know, who doesn't love the combo? Yeah. And then the other piece I just wanted to mention really quickly, see kind of in this realm was uh, Jake Evans piece about uh, the lack of bars at the world's best bars. Uh, just yeah. you know, one of those things where like, I don't know. I don't know, Joanna, did you write this headline? Whoever wrote this headline, I thought just sometimes you see the headlines on the site and I'm like, this person, you know, y'all fucking nailed it. <laughs> um, and this one is like a great headline. It's at the world's leading bars. There are no bars. And I'm like, that, you know what? I'm going to click that damn link. Yes. How about you? Well, in the line of fun pieces, I don't know if you saw this one, but Olivia White wrote one about um, Heisler beer. <laughs> Have you? I, I never heard this. of this before, and it totally, I think it's so fun, this totally fake beer that features in 
like dozens of TV shows and movies. And it's something where you just like, you probably don't notice it or haven't noticed it before. But then after reading this piece, you'll see it everywhere. Like I was actually watching an episode of 24 last night and there was a Heisler beer in it. But basically this prop house created this beer back in, I think it was back in the 80s, I want to say, uh, because it's it was just easier to have this fictitious beer versus some um, real beer and kind of the the not copyright but the the legalities that uh, you can get into with that in in like production and uh, and so yeah you'll probably notice this beer like across TV shows and movies now but I thought that piece was really fun and then we also just published um, an analysis of the Silicon Valley Bank uh, report that was that came out last week um, a few folks have written in kind of asking about um, you know if we were going to discuss this on the pod uh, it largely we felt that the report this year largely echoed last year and the year before that like a lot of similar um, points there. So this piece kind of gets into it a little bit more. If people want to read that, it was really well done by John Sumner's on the site too. Yeah. And I think to add to what Joanna was saying, like it's not that we don't think that these issues are real or that they are important. It's that we've talked a lot about them in 2023 yeah. and undeniably and undoubtedly we'll talk about them more this year, but just felt like the report, whereas it really, I think, sent kind of shockwaves through the industry last year in particular because it was so you know, it's pretty cut and dry about the challenges facing wine. I think in a way, because last year was so shocking to people, this year's report, which as you said, is a lot of, you know, the same kind of commentary, you just can't shock in the same way. So we didn't feel as compelled to kind of respond to the report directly, as opposed to, you know, continuing to keep things like this um, at the forefront of our conversation when we talk about wine. Yeah. I'm going to pivot a little bit here, but but talk about something that was on the site recently as well. Yes. Um, and to get us into our topic today. So our good friend, Dave Infante, uh, my drinking buddy last week in Portland, uh, <laughs> wrote a piece, uh, his you know weekly hop take last week, as you all listen to this, called Where the Hell Are All the Hop Waters? And, you know, far be it for me to criticize Dave Infante's coverage of the beer industry. Dave knows his stuff forwards and backwards. But... I was struck on as I read this piece and actually read this piece and then talked to Dave about it in person. So he knows what I'm <laughs> going to say. It's not uh, not going to come as a um, huge shock to him or hopefully uh, to any of you. But I, I actually think there's really good reasons why hop waters have not become ubiquitous at craft breweries and, and breweries of various sizes. And, you know, we're going to kind of use this to talk about hop water. I think, you know, you and I, Joanna, are kind of I think in general, more interested in talking about the nuances of the NA category than Adam. So with him gone, we're <laughs> going to take the opportunity to kind of delve into some of this stuff. Yeah. And to me, one of the things that kind of gets yada yada in Dave's piece of touch is that there's a reason why, like, there are good reasons why breweries don't make NA beer because it's cost, you know, costs a lot to do well. Yes. And the reason you've seen a lot of the craft breweries and mid-sized breweries that have jumped into that market to say nothing of the dedicated NA breweries is because they have the capital and they have the kind of footprint to support that kind of investment. And I think the thing that hop water enthusiasts miss is that whereas NA beer, and as we talked about recently, you know, the, the market for NA products like that is for drinkers who want an alternative on a given night, an alternative within a drinking, uh, uh, you know, kind of drinking occasion or just, you know, whatever, are taking a break from alcohol for some 
period of time, but are, are people who drink alcoholic products. I think hot water's biggest problem is it starts drifting into the murky world of beverage products that are not explicitly targeting people who like the kind of alcohol version. And I think that's where its biggest challenges come. And I think despite the fact that it's hops and the flavor is, you know, beer reminiscent in a way. Yeah. I think it, in my personal opinion, and of course, I think you disagree with me on this, so you know we're going to have it out on this one, <laughs> is that hop water to me kind of ends up being neither a suitable beer facsimile when I want beer, nor a particularly fun drink to drink if I just want an NA drink that's you know fun, a seltzer or something like that. Because in the end, I don't really like to taste the hops on their own. And I think that's what it comes back to for me. Interesting. So... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's really what it hinges on here. It's like you have to, in order for hot water to be an enticing um, non-alcoholic option, you, you really do need to like hops, right? Because that that's what these <laughs> primarily offer, right? Like, I mean, apart, I suppose we're kind of um, the, the category or the segment, I, su- I suppose, uh, has evolved a little bit now to include more flavored options, Though some brands still don't make flavored options, they just make plain ones. Um, that that really it is targeting people, probably beer drinkers who enjoy hops, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I totally think that's I think that's the target demo for sure. Yes, I don't think they're necessarily saying, "Hey, people who don't like beer are going to drink this," because for a lot of people, if they don't like beer, hops are probably the prime culprit, right? The bitterness, exactly. the aromas, yeah. et cetera, just don't agree with people and they're turned off by beer, especially if they're otherwise people who drink. And so to me, the the problem comes and, you know, I haven't tasted every hop water on the market. Please let me know if there are ones that you all think that are just incredible and don't do this. But to me, the the fundamental problem with them is that I prefer my hoppy beers generally to be beers that also are have some body. I mean, the reason why like the beer category that's driven the hop craze is the IPA and the IPA at its heart is a pretty robust beer. I mean, it's not just about hops. It's also about, you know, the sort of gravity of the beer and all of that stuff. And it can carry that. And to me, when you combine hops, the hop aroma, hop flavor with sparkling water, you end up with like the world's worst case of like a hopped macro lager or something like I don't want that for me personally. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I'm not sitting there thinking like, man, what I want is like in like if I I guess what I'm saying is I don't think hops unto themselves as a as a sort of flavor and aroma component to a beverage are the only thing I'm looking for. And if you to me, if you take them out of the context wherein I think they excel, they're no longer that exciting to me or even that pleasurable to drink. And yeah, that's I think where that's one of my big things here in general. Here's why I think Hopwater is smart. Okay. Because there has been some research done recently. I guess IWSR, I think, is a report that I was reading this morning that, you know, in terms of moderation, younger generations are choosing and seeking out like soda and other you know, seltzer beverages, non-alcoholic seltzer beverages when they want to moderate their drinking, whereas older generations are just like drinking water if they're not drinking alcohol. And I think that's why 
that's why hot water has a really big opportunity here because sure, maybe some people don't like hops or the hop flavor, but actually, as I mentioned before, because so many of these bigger brands are now introducing flavored hop waters like blood orange or whatever berry or lime um, that this is actually a good product for them to offer because they don't taste they taste less like hop water they taste more like they taste (laughs) more like yeah yeah, exactly like flavored seltzer and uh, that's just I feel like for a brewery that's a a big opportunity that's just like an opportunity that's relatively um, cheap Right. You mentioned that non-alcoholic beers are pretty expensive investments for breweries, whereas hop water and some of them, you know, just use hop extract. Right. Um, Versus actual the actual uh, like hops and raw materials that it would be somewhat foolish to not make hop waters, which is what I think Dave was saying in his piece. So I think there are these cases where I can see the logic for an individual brewery saying, hey, this is a thing we want to do. Certainly one of them is if you see that you're having people come into your, say, your tap room or whatever, and they are, some of them are either opting for something along the lines of a hop water or maybe even a seltzer, either exclusively or kind of in concert with beer that they're drinking. Well, you might reasonably think, hey, we can make this product. It's not difficult for a brewery that already has the raw materials on hand to make, I don't think. And if that can turn into sales for us, then great. And especially because we can probably get away with charging more for a can or a pour of hop water than we could for, and same thing, the fact that we make it, like for a can of LaCroix or whatever, right? Like, yeah. So that's part of it. And, you know, that's one of those things where I think, you know, the that's that's a sort of economic argument in favor of it from an individual brewery standpoint. And sure, some of them are making it work quite well. I actually think the price point is one of the areas where I also have some sticking points. That's what I was going to say, too. And to me, I think where, you know, again, the thing we talked about in the kind of broader conversation we had recently about the NA category really being for drinkers who just happen to not want alcohol at a given moment is one of the reasons why that category is doing well is that it is consists of products that can command near alcohol-like prices, if not the same, like craft alcohol prices for a non-alcoholic product. And I think that hop water, you know, Dave kind of, again, sort of SpongeBob means this over the like, you know, it's just LaCroix, but like, I do think it's hard for some of these products to make the argument that because they're using hops, which are granted relatively expensive ingredients, but hop extract isn't that expensive. And certainly, you know, if you're using, you're not probably putting your premium hops in your hop water if you're right. a brewery. So you're using whatever, you know, kind of odds and ends, or you're using stuff that's maybe a little older or like just isn't the kind of cream of the crop of your hop, you know, whatever inventory. So to me, it's kind of like how in the in the long run are you going to defend the price point of this category, especially honestly, as you start taking it more into these like fruited flavor categories where like the hops recede into in importance. And it's like, well, wait, why does this brewery's NA seltzer cost me you know, $4 for a can or $3.50 for a can or whatever, when like, again, even the fanciest of fancy seltzers, NA, is like a buck a can, a buck 50, maybe. Like, that's where I think this kind of all sorts to start kind of falling in on itself. Yeah, I mean, this was a this was something that, you know, when we were really getting into hot waters last year, when more and more of them were coming out, and Dave does mention that there are, uh, like, just numbers wise here, um, 
how many breweries actually make whatever. There are only a handful of breweries actually making them, right? Like compared to the ten thousand craft breweries across yeah, the I country think he has, right now. He has like in the here the number it's like you know three people making three producers selling whatever uh, fifty thousand cases, cases of it yeah. in twenty nineteen. Now twenty seven doing five hundred thousand cases, but like you know, so yeah, it's still a relatively small number. Yeah. So when we were really, um, you know, when we were doing, we did a hop water tasting last year for for the site and we were really impressed. Like, these are really good. I would drink this often, even though they've been around for a while at this point. They are shockingly expensive. Yeah. Right. Like if you, you see like for a 12 pack, it, you're they're like 30 to 40 dollars for some of these. Yeah. Which is kind of like paying for a beer. Yeah, it's more than paying for craft beer. I mean, I don't yeah. think you can find a craft beer twelve pack at like a gr- at a grocery store that's going to be thirty five dollars. Right. I mean, even I will say so. You know, you and I are going to open and taste uh, here in a minute, and I we have the Lagunitas uh, Hoppy Refresher, and all that my grocery store had on hand when I went in this morning were four packs of twelve ounce bottles. Right, Joanna, do you want to guess what the four pack of twelve ounce bottles cost me? <laughs> 12 ounce bottles uh i don't know 20 bucks no no, no it wasn't quite that bad okay. that's that i mean i would have perhaps 15 messaged you i would have messaged you and been like oh, i'm gonna need you to reimburse me if i'm gonna buy this <laughs> no it was 12 bucks but like that's three dollars a bottle for 12 ounces of water yeah. like what are we doing here and like granted said grocery store was the one that i go to when i want fancy stuff and it's not where i would typically buy this kind of thing but the less expensive stores near me didn't have it in stock so that's what i did because i love you all out there and you know we do this for you (laughs) but i just am like man who looks at like it's january and i'm still like man i would just rather go buy three packs three like 12 packs or two 12 packs of Lacroix. i get so much more water for my dollar and you know, we're going to taste it. I haven't tried the Lagunitas yet. Maybe on air I will tell you, you know what? They're fucking undercharging me for this. It should be <laughs> twice as expensive. I don't think so, but we'll find out. Okay. So I got the 12-pack can variety pack. Oh, and that fun. was that was 28 bucks. What do you have? What So what's in the variety pack? Uh, So the variety pack has, um, hang on. Because I have a blood orange here in front of me, and I have a plain, but the other flavors are berry lemon, blood orange, and plain. Oh, so it's like four of each of the three? Yeah. Okay. And so they have hop extract and natural flavors, but and carbonated water. Okay. So. Are you going to try more than one on air? Well, I've been drinking the blood orange oh. one as we're chatting, but no, oh, <laughs> just oh, try the oh, plain. Okay. Well, let's try the plain, and then you okay. can tell me about blood orange, too. <laughs> Is everything okay over there? <laughs> can you guess what just happened? Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. I, just I got think it happens from time to time. Hot water everywhere. Oh, my God. it's It smells fruity, though. I think there's a little bit of lemon or something in the nominally oh, plain no. one, if I remember correctly. Oh my what does it say here? No, it says on the side of my can, it says, Blashed with a citrus zing. Yeah, okay, I can buy that. I mean, look, you can taste the hops. There's a little bit of that sort of hoppy bitterness in there. Yeah. Definitely a little citrus. But, like, I'm sorry, Lagunitas. I like your beer a lot. This shit is ridiculously overpriced. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, how could... 
it's one thing i mean i don't mean this is not meant as a shot at you joanna but like it's one thing to get this kind of thing as like a sample and be like cool this tastes good but like I just can't imagine there are that many people clamoring to spend this kind of money when there are, like, to me, objectively way better seltzers out there that are half or less the cost. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's this particular one. Dave mentions that he spends a lot of money on hop water, (laughs) so much so that he doesn't want to look at how much he spends on hop water. I think that was Dave's oblique way of demanding a raise. (laughs) But I don't know, Zach, you you mentioned you have a craft – you have a craft – version of hop water currently in your home i do also did not care for it um <laughs> though i didn't pay for it so i could just pour the second half of it down the drain i'm not gonna say who it was because no please don't, don't we generally don't talk about things that we get that we don't like unless they're you know hard uh, mountain dew which i will gladly go on the record <laughs> over cacti. and over again saying was a tr- yeah, or, or cacti if yeah. you're made by a huge multinational i will trash your product on this as long as you don't advertise with us i will trash <laughs> your product on here <laughs> And if you're made by someone who's doing craft stuff and you don't get it quite right, well, that's just what happens sometimes. That's okay. But yeah, I think that one also I didn't care for because it's sweetened yeah, like with stevia. So it can be zero cal, but I just I hate stevia. Uh, so it did not land with me. But what I think is all, in all of this and, and, and to kind of, you know, for me at least to kind of bring it a little bit full circle in my eyes, I definitely think it's good for beer in particular to be experimenting with product like kind of branches you know ways to branch off from core beers or just beer even in general to find other products that can land with drinkers right yes whether that's na beer hop water hard seltzer etc right we're seeing the breweries that are tending to do well right now are breweries that can offer someone especially if they come in the tap room but even just in a product line at a convenience store or grocery store or whatever, a range of products that can meet different drinking occasions. And if you can just make one thing, you're probably less likely to succeed because people more than ever, I think this is like an overarching part of our coverage of, of the last couple of years, is like people want to move between different drinks, different drink categories, hard and soft, etc., at will. And if you only can ever meet them at one drinking occasion as a brand, as a company, you're probably going to struggle unless that thing you do is just fucking exceptional and the truth is like there are not an infinite number of exceptional breweries out there there's a lot of good to very good ones and those breweries need maybe not hop water maybe not very expensive hop water but something that can also be a way into people's lives yeah i mean i I think it's just like the industry is struggling right and so even if you are an exceptional brewery and that's great i mean kind of like you said earlier zach unless you have tons of money it just doesn't seem like a bad idea to explore these other options and what you can offer consumers. I will say just I prefer the plain one here. I think it could be hoppier. I think um, so too. The blood orange one, you really, like you said, the the hops kind of go away. And maybe for, it's a great option for people who don't like hops from their the hops flavor from their hop water. <laughs> but then to me, I guess it comes back to this question of like, at some point, aren't people going to start asking, like, well, what is it exactly about this blood orange flavored sparkling water that maybe has a faint hint of hop to it that validates this price point? Like, yeah, I just, sure. 
I want one other question for you, Joanne, about this. Yeah. I don't know. Have you done any shopping for hot waters in person? Like, I know I think you probably got this delivered to the office because, you know, you're like a hardworking person who doesn't just step out for an hour to go shopping, unlike <laughs> yours truly. I was um, going to go to Whole Foods, but then I didn't. I had a meeting. Anyway, yeah. I haven't gone. I haven't gone like particularly shopping for hot water, but we did have, I don't know what you're going to ask, but we did have a bunch in the office last year, as I mentioned. Well, so for me, the interesting thing was I didn't know where to look at my grocery store because it's not something I've looked for before. And so the hot waters in my grocery store that I went to, shout outs, town and country market. Shouting out your grocery store? No, it's a good grocery store. Pricey, (laughs) but good product. Uh, Were stocked in the section of the grocery store next to the sparkling water and stuff. Okay, not not, not by, beer. by beer. Interesting. And I think that is a problem for these products because I think it's pretty hard. And the said mm-hmm. grocery store has some pretty bougie fucking seltzers, and these were by far the most expensive thing in that section. <laughs> now, granted, some of them were out of stock. Unclear whether that's because they've just been selling through them or because they had like four cases and that was it. I don't know. I didn't ask. But – I do think that it's possible that if these things were stocked in stores next to the beer by said brewery, the sticker shock on the price might be less noticeable because they're going to look at, you know, they're going to look kind of similarly priced or maybe a little less expensive than the alcoholic beer that's next to them. Or the non-alc beer. Or the non-alc beer. And like the non-alc beer in that grocery store is in the beer section. It's not in the NA section. It makes sense for them to be there. That's what I think. Sure. But I do think that like, if you are a brewery that is trying to sell this stuff into grocery stores and stuff like that, that should be a priority of yours to make sure that you are not shelved alongside the LaCroix. I think that yeah. is bad for your product if you want to keep selling it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's been a lot of coverage around hop water recently this year. It'll be really interesting to see what happens, you know, in the coming months, in the coming years. Because like I said, it's been around for a while at this point, but we really haven't seen it take off. And... I, I, we both seem to agree that price is a really big part of that, but it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. We will, uh, you, me, Dave, we'll all keep an eye on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Zach. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I'll chat to you on Monday. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.